All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. Today's episode, we have NFL Divisional Round recaps and reactions. And I'm sure Ben is very excited to talk about the 49ers. Yes, I am, as I always am, but especially after this past weekend. So we will be talking about their big win over the Vikings, as well as the other matchups from what would say pretty wild division around weekend. We'll also kind of give our takes on the NFL coaching carousel now that all the head coaching uh, candidates that were uh, previously open, they're, they're now all filled. And from there, we'll talk college football, national championship game, Tigers beat the Tigers, LSU taking down Clemson. And uh, we won't have any Ben Clemson rants this year. So I'm sure Ben's happy and Brian's a little disappointed about that. Um, From there, we will be going into our sports trivia segment that we introduced last week. And then we'll also wrap things up with five questions segment that we introduced. Brian, you have uh, a few questions for us. For the uh, five questions segment? Yes, I do. So we'll be excited to answer those as well as a couple of listener submitted questions. But before we get into any of that, let's start with a sport that uh, we don't talk about too much on this podcast, and that is baseball. And the reason for that is because we have some huge news from the sport that came out on Monday. The Houston Astros had been involved in a sign-stealing cheating scandal and Commissioner Rob Manfred handed out the punishments with manager A.J. Hinch and general manager Jeff Lunau both being suspended for the entire year and later uh, fired by the team owner, as well as the team being fined $5 million and losing their first and second round draft picks in 2020 and 2021. So I guess the, the immediate question is, did the MLB get these punishments on the Astros right? So when the news came out that the Astros were stealing signs with cameras and um, using trash using trash cans in their World Series year in 2017, I kind of figured that the commissioner would give them a punishment, punishment for a decent amount of time, uh, particularly uh, A.J. Hinch, but I thought it would only be like 50 games or half a season just something to just something just something that gives them a heads up but I did not expect the Astros manager AJ Hinch and uh, the general manager uh, Jeff Lunau to be not only suspended the entire season but then to lose their jobs and uh, I'm actually I'm kind of glad that Rob Manfred decided to lay down the hammer uh, I remember a couple years ago when the Red Sox, they were caught using 
um, these iPhone watches or or so. Uh, Rob Manfred came out with the news saying that if any teams were to be caught in something similar to this again, then he he would you know give give big punishment to whoever is caught again. And I'm glad he I'm glad it's happened, but it's also not looking good for baseball. No, it's it's not at all. And I understand why there are a lot of fans who feel like the punishment wasn't hard enough. I think in terms of what was handed out, I don't have issues with it. So I don't know if you guys like looked at the report. I know we were kind of talking amongst ourselves yesterday, but they did say that this is mostly player driven and that Hinch and Lunau, while they were generally aware of what was going on, they weren't condoning it. It was something that they didn't necessarily want their players to do. Problem was they didn't actually stop it or do enough to do that. So I think the one year suspension is very much warranted for them. In terms of the fine, five millions the maximum, the four draft picks. I know baseball draft picks aren't as meaningful in some other sports in the sense that you'd never really know with uh, prospects whether they're going to make it to the big leagues, and even then they might not even have a big impact for a few years down the road. My problem is the fact that this was player-driven, and the players were just given total immunity. There's no punishment there. The owner was just uh, said, oh, yeah, uh, he had no idea any of this was going on, even though Hinch and Lanau weren't weren't condoning it. They weren't part of the uh, the ringleaders in this. It was very much player develop player driven. They were the ones who took the fall, and the owner got off totally scot free. And I don't think this is going to have a huge effect on the Astros in twenty twenty. And I don't know how big of an effect it's going to have on them going forward. So I think Hinch and Lanau they got hit pretty hard, and I'm sure other managers and general managers are going to be a little weary. Um, but it feels like the players are kind of getting away with this, and. I, I, I don't know what they could have realistically done, just like suspending every single player on the Astros. But I, I do think that, that uh, there, there should have been more um, in that at that level of the organization. From a player aspect, yeah. you wish there was more. I do. It reminds me, it reminds me a lot of uh, Bounty Gate where Sean Payton, he didn't really have anything to do with the what Greg Williams and the defense, uh, what they were doing purposely trying to hurt players. But he also didn't do anything about it, like A.J. Hinch in this case. And like you said, you brought up from a player standpoint that you wish that there was uh, something done with the players. Is it With the bounty gate, you could point out it was Vilma and a few other players on their team. But for the Astros, like, can you exactly pinpoint who on their roster was really a big part of what what was happening? No, you can't. And that was one thing. So the, the Major League Baseball said that they were going to have immunity uh, in exchange for their testimony. And part of the reason is because it's so difficult to come after players knowing that the MLPPA would back them up. So it was much easier for the Astros or for the MLB to just say, all right, we're going to get rid of the manager and the GM. We're going to give them a big punishment and let the owner you know, do something from there. And I think in the case of the player, the only one who was named is Carlos Beltran. And I think the only reason why he was named is because he's no longer because a player. Because he was near retirement already. Yeah. He's basically a Well, at, at this point, point, I mean, regardless of what he was at that point, he is a manager now for the New York Mets. He became a coach after this happened. So I think that's the only reason why he was thrown under the bus as opposed to other players. And I, I think that kind of gets into Alex Cora as well, is how much of his role as like the the bench coach and the the coach who I guess was uh, tied into this, 
how much was he involved compared to just the players? Because it seems like he's the ringleader along with Beltron just yeah. because they're the only two who are mentioned. Yeah, I think it's a guarantee that Alex Cora is going to get at least one year and very, very likely more, probably two years. I don't I've heard lifetime ban. I don't think he'll get some, a lifetime ban. Yeah, I, I highly doubt he's gonna get a lifetime ban, but he should get if AJ Hinch and Jeff Lunau, who weren't the you know the leaders of uh, for the for all this happening, and Alex Cora was, then he's gonna get at least one year and then some. And not only that, he did this with the Astros, and he did this with the Red Sox the very following year, and one back to back World Series on those teams and screwing over the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean. For the Dodgers, there there are a lot of comparisons to the Buffalo Bills that were starting to build, and now it's like, well, hey, if you didn't have these two teams potentially cheating, maybe they win the win both World Series. The one difference with the Red Sox and the Astros is that the Red Sox supposedly were unable to do it in the postseason based on the the way they went about it, whereas the Astros, which I'm not sure how much it. I really believe. Well, the way they did it was differently. I think I think it's uh, in terms of the fact that they actually had people in the replay rooms in the playoffs i think that's it, it's believable to me that they weren't doing it there doesn't necessarily mean that uh it didn't play a big role in them winning what a 110 games 108 games whatever it was but i i do think that um in terms of like the actual playoff run you I can think, feel a little better Ash- about it than the astros fans i think the astros it was more egregious but the thing is the red sox they were the team that was caught two years ago or mm-hmm. uh, at least yeah, 2017 when Rob Manfred brought up the fact that hey we're gonna we're gonna come down hard on teams who do this again so the Red Sox were the team that got caught again so I can only imagine in my opinion I think the Red Sox will get something very similar or maybe even worse uh, e- even though the Astros the way they did it the cheating with the trash cans also was more egregious, but I think the Red Sox are going to get just as harsh of a punishment. And Alex Cora. Yeah, I think Alex Cora needs to be fired. Um, if if he's suspended for two years, there's no way you keep him around. You start to look forward which, to the new which manager is such anyway. A sh- which is such a shame because I actually believe Alex Cora is a good manager and he gets through to the players, especially the ones uh, like Alexander Bo- Bogarts or Eduardo Rodriguez and, and, and other guys. So, so Ben, I, I know Brian and I have been talking about this. We're, we're the bigger baseball fans in this. Um, I, I know as someone who I think you just found out that anything even happened yesterday in yep. terms of the te- technology cheating. So yep. from a, a neutral person's perspective outside of baseball, how does this kind of change your perception of what's going on in that sport over the past few years? Well, I just have a what I'm most interested in knowing is um, like I'm not super familiar with how important it is to know your uh, of the opposing team's signs during a baseball game. But what how much does this tarnish the 2017 Astros? I think that's a great question. Pretty big. Yeah. It like, well, because because well, hold on. Let me let me yeah. continue because, again, I, I don't know how much of an impact this kind of information has on a team's ability to win at baseball. Like some people would argue this year that the Patriots season should be thrown away because they recorded the Bengals sidelines. And as an informed football fan, I would argue that actually what was recorded of the Bengals sidelines doesn't actually give the Patriots that big of a like advantage to win the Super Bowl. Right. Um, so how much did this play in, in you guys' opinion, to the Astros ability to be the best team in baseball? If you look at their home road splits, it's 
pretty damning that they were able to put up much more production at home. And I know you could say that about any team in any sport, but it's the Astros stats, especially like on base percentage and slugging percentage were were skyrocketed at home. Yeah, so I think they went eight and one and hit two seventy in the playoffs at home and three and six while hitting like less than two ten um, in that twenty seventeen postseason. So one thing I will say is that the Astros supposedly those players stopped doing it because they didn't think that it was as successful as they wanted it to be and it wasn't worth getting caught or whatever uh, was the the reasoning they outlined in the report but they stopped it because they didn't believe it was working but like Brian said you know you just pointed out if you look at the stats it does seem like they had some sort of a competitive advantage I mean you're just saying though just because you know that the pitcher is throwing a change up doesn't mean that you're going to be able it's to make contact and hit it. It's not guarantee that you're going to mash it, but a lot of times it gives them an advantage. But I don't, I don't think it totally takes away because I think the Astros have a ton of talent on that team, and they're still absolutely a World Series caliber team. I don't think that they're like a below 500 team that won 20 extra games because of this, but because they won the World Series and because it did play some sort of significant role, just looking at the numbers, it's hard to to be able to totally dismiss it as, uh, oh, you know, everyone and, else does it. Like, the Astros just got caught. It, just, it wasn't really an advantage. And it's the exact same thing with the Red Sox, where they're, even without that stuff, they're probably still a 9,500-win team and competing for a World Series, but who knows how deep in the playoffs they would have gone, or who knows, maybe they would have still won the World Series with or without it. But the asterisk is definitely there, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. For both teams. I'm I'm cool with the Astros. Well, I guess we don't know what's going to happen out of the Red Sox investigation at this point. Uh, to this, uh, the information, uh, there's no no reason to believe that the Red Sox are doing it in the playoffs like the Astros were. I'm fine with giving the Astros an asterisk. I think the idea of like you know taking away the title, taking away the rings and the pennant, oh, I hate that I so like much that. too. Yeah, give give the titles to the Dodgers. Yeah, no, <laughs> they, they would never do that. They never would. I mean, the NCAA takes away wins and takes away championships all the time. If you go on NCAA.com and you look at past men's basketball champions, and you look at 23, 2013, the winner was Louisville Star over Michigan. Not Michigan. Not nobody won it. It shows Louisville on there. It just has an asterisk. So... Um, I think worst case, that's the kind of thing that would happen with the Astros and I guess maybe the Red Sox if that's uh, deemed that there was some kind of cheating involved in the the postseason. So, all right, let's uh, let's move on and let's talk about the NFL. This is actually the first episode since, what, like June that we didn't immediately start with NFL. So kind of new year, new us, like we said last time, but we're ready to I'm talk really NFL I'm really straining playoffs. right now, yeah. holding myself oh, I know. back. I wanted to bring up football in the middle of that baseball discussion, but... <laughs> I restrained myself. You brought up the Patriots Bengals. That's right. Actually, yeah. I did. So I, yeah, <laughs> I actually did. couldn't restrain so. myself. <laughs> and hey, I'll, I'll let you take the floor here because we'll start off with the first game of the weekend 49ers 27, Vikings 10. Niners are going to the NFC Championship game. Yeah. And as much as I enjoyed this game, I would argue this is by far the least entertaining game of the weekend. Um, the Niners proved the haters wrong. Uh, I saw an uncomfortable amount of pundits taking the Vikings after their surprise victory in uh, New Orleans, and I couldn't like believe that people were uh, swayed so easily uh, after the season the Niners had. Um, but this team is healthy at the right time, uh, and it showed when they finally got to get onto the field. Uh, and one 
huge bonus as a result of this game. Kyle Shanahan reported no new injuries uh, after this game. And uh, that is pretty important at this point in the season. Most of the time, um, by now, your team is like limping along. And the 49ers are surprisingly healthy. They shut down Dalvin Cook, uh, which gives us a lot of hope for the upcoming matchup against Aaron Jones. And every single first... I I said in the preseason, I hyped up this uh, D-line, a bunch of first-round draft picks, five of them, and every single one got themselves a sack. Even Solomon Thomas, who's not even a starter, recorded a sack in this game. Uh, So the strength of the defense definitely played their heart out. Um, Plus, Tevin Coleman, a guy who has, you know, had his ups and downs this season and had a 100-yard game. So the, the 49ers are looking good. Uh, Jimmy did have one kind of stupid turnover, uh, as he tends to do every once in a while. That's kind of worrying. But other than that, the Niners are feeling confident, uh, looking forward to the NFC Championship. I couldn't tell if the Niners D-line is that good or if the Vikings O-line is that bad because the the, the D-line was relentless in that game, and Kirk Cousins got wrecked in the pocket. And Dalvin Cook, their best player in offense, was shut down, and when the Vikings can't get the running game going. They're they're screwed. And and what they have six three and outs in that game. And also that game was foolproof that how important bye weeks are in the NFL because the Vikings were coming off a big win on Sunday, traveling to New Orleans, then traveling back home for practicing through the week, and then traveling to West Coast of San Francisco. And the Niners they were fully rested and and like Ben said, healthy. So bye weeks are just massive in the NFL. Yeah, so the the Niners' pass rush was unbelievable. I don't know how anyone can keep uh, doubting this team and uh, particularly this defense. Ben, you pointed out with uh, the the five first round picks, and they totally bullied the Vikings' offensive line. And I don't think it's fair to say, oh, this is more about the Vikings' O line than the 49ers' defense because the Vikings' offensive line at, at the beginning of the season when we were talking about what do the Vikings need to be successful, we said the offensive line would be a big part in that team and while they had improvements throughout the season the 49ers just totally seemingly set them back to to where they used to be because Dalvin Cook nine carries 18 yards he had six catches but only got eight yards out of him I mean Kirk Cousins he threw the ball 21 for 29 but he only gained 172 yards in those passes they they had the one big 41 yard touchdown pass to Savon Diggs in the first quarter and we're like totally shut down from there just a a field goal and a short possession that Jimmy G interception and like brian said six three and outs so yeah Yeah. 49ers defense was they were the story of this game definitely and this team first mentality uh witherspoon kind of got uh embarrassed by stefan diggs on that long touchdown and he got benched but he actually like switched to taking his backups um uh, snaps on special teams because he wanted to do what was best for the team he wanted his backup to whose name escapes me at the moment but number 41 he is he switched basically positions on the roster with him to make sure that uh you know he, he could save himself for those defensive snaps so I really love where this team is at right now oh not to mention Quan Alexander was back and he was good he looked yeah healthy. what happened to him with his injury did he tear his he, pack as well he tore his pec, and a lot of people said he was done for the season, and he was out for most of it. But he, you know, his recovery was legendary, as he he loves to say uh, the word legendary, and he made it back. And he was a coverage 
um, uh, like linebacker. He he played on more obvious passing downs. It was interesting the way they used him because Fred Warner uh, and Dre Greenlaw have been playing lights out. So despite the fact that Quan Alexander is so expensive, um, it wasn't like his return totally uh, changed what the Niners already had going at the linebacker position. Basically, it just added more depth uh, despite him being the initial starter, if that makes any sense. It blows my mind that so that's two guys now that were able to come back from a torn pectoral muscle. That's something that's always season ending. And two of them were able to do it in the same postseason. Oh yeah. And you know, we'll we'll talk about JJ Watt and the Texans in a little while, but he was he was huge in his game back and it's you know, Quan Alexander, you know, obviously with the, the 49ers having so many guys stepping up on defense, it it's kinda hard to stand out on your own. But yeah, he certainly uh, didn't seem like he was slowing down by that injury. So it's pretty remarkable. And if, if the Niners defense, like you said, they left the game with no new injuries, if they're healthy, they're going to be a threat to any of the uh, remaining offenses in this postseason. So with that, let's move on to the next game. And that was from Saturday night. And Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, 12 straight victories heading into the playoffs. Lamar was a clear front runner to win league MVP. Everybody was high on this team, and so many people were expecting them to win the Super Bowl. And they came out, and they they didn't just lose to the Titans. They got beat bad. And there are going to be a lot of questions about Lamar and his ability to step up in the playoffs. If that moment is too big for him and uh, for the Ravens, they they were asking those questions about him last year in the playoffs, and we find ourselves once again asking the same things. I'm going to let have let Ben have the floor on this one and give his Derrick Henry man crush rant uh, for the next few minutes. Brian, at your salt levels. Like I was, I was. Um, you, I am so right about Derrick Henry. Okay. Um, I said feed this man the ball, and that includes letting him take snaps at quarterback. Um, and he he showed with that Tebow jump pass uh, that he is just the best player on this team right now, and uh, he can do anything he wants. I truly did not expect them to lean as heavily on Derrick Henry. I was doubting my own game plan, and uh, but the Titans were smarter than than even I was by letting Derrick Henry eat. Um, but really what I think happened is that the, the Ravens got punched in the mouth. Uh, Mark Ingram uh, said that before the 49ers game. He said, everybody got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And honestly, I that's what I felt like happened to the Ravens. They came in here all confident. They're like, oh, we're so lucky to be facing a sixth seed at home. Like, this is excellent for us. We'll easily crush them and move on. Like, this is our year. Uh, and suddenly they're down 14 nothing, and they're scrambling, and uh, they just could never get that mojo back. I also love Earl Thomas saying, uh, <laughs> calling out the Patriots, saying, "Oh, I think we can, we can definitely tackle this guy better than they can." Well, yeah, he said something like to the extent of like other people don't want to tackle, other people like don't want to tackle Derrick Henry, but but we do, and he literally got turned around. Derrick Henry stiff arm is so hard that. Earl Thomas is facing the opposite direction, literally like trying not to tackle Derrick Henry, um, which as a former Seahawk, I, I don't have the greatest opinion of Earl Thomas, so that was definitely nice to see. As a current yeah, Raven, I don't have a I don't, great opinion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, don't, I don't have a great opinion. I, I love seeing that. That was probably my favorite part of that game uh, was everyone just calling out Earl Thomas for calling out the, the Patriots and saying that they were going to be able to stop Derrick Henry, which they clearly couldn't do. So, 
uh, and focusing on the other side of the ball, Lamar Jackson threw the ball 59 times. He His career high before that, when I saw that number, I was like, had he even thrown for 40? No, his career high was 34 against the Chiefs earlier this year. He threw 59 passes. I think he ran the ball 20 times too, so he was still part of that game plan. But he was like coming out in empty sets. They weren't. They, they fell behind 14 to nothing. They started panicking. And I think that Russ played a huge part in the Ravens' downfall. I think... I- I think with the Ravens offense is that this season, what, they went 14-2, and two, but they got to teams early in the mm-hmm. game and did not stop. But in this game, they were down 14 and nothing, and they had to go through comeback mode, which was not their forte. And like you said, 59 passing attempts for Lamar Jackson, that's just not, that should not ever be part of the game plan from him. No. Um, so, so yeah, he, he hasn't, still hasn't proved that he can win playoff games, but I definitely have a more positive outlook on Lamar Jackson going to next season than I did going into this season since he's proven that he could play uh, not only run but also throw the ball. Yeah, I think it's short-sighted to say that Lamar can't win in the playoffs just because of uh, this one game because I I don't think it was totally on him. I think it was a team effort, and it's it's not giving a ton of credit to the tight ends and what they accomplished. It's it's also on Harbaugh as well, uh, letting the Ravens go for it on those fourth downs and and then turn the ball over and giving it back to Tennessee. Yeah, I mean... They've been so good all year on them. Right, well, no, and you can't blame them for going for those short fourth downs, but it's like, you know, you live by the fourth down, you die by the fourth down. Plus, Lamar Jackson had two interceptions, and he lost a fumble. Like, that's... three. You could count that as five... Yeah, three turnovers and two turnovers on down, so basically mm-hmm. five turnovers. Yeah, it's, it's hard to win when you keep giving the ball back to the other team. It, it was just kind of crazy like some of these reactions like bill polian was trending on twitter because of lamar jackson's performance like oh yeah bill polian like he was right lamar jackson should be a wide receiver <laughs> I, wait wait wait. who's bill polian is he the he guy who a, didn't vote for lamar to be uh mvp no bill polian he was a former colts executive and he worked for espn and he was like one of the big proponents before the the draft and during the combine that lamar jackson should focus on playing wide receiver that's so funny yeah, he's a big know-it-all he also said tom brady he, he had a first round grade on tom brady who did not get drafted until the end of the sixth round so he's a hack wow yeah it's just you know as as a Steelers fan i would be happy if lamar jackson can't have success and lead the Ravens to the Super Bowl but I just think that it's crazy to believe that just because his his sample size of bad games and his his playoff performance there's a correlation it it seems like he plays poorly in the playoffs but when he's only had like four bad games in how many what a, a 25 game career now or so you know, I think it's almost coincidence at this point. The guy's only 22 years old. He's coming off an MVP season. I don't think that this is a case of the moment being too big or the Titans expose him because he said that about the Chargers, and then what happened the rest of the this season, you know? Yeah, so. last season it looked like he just couldn't play quarterback whatsoever, but for this season, no, he just, just had a bad game at a, at a bad time. So. Yeah, and I think this is a case where the bye week kind of hurt the Ravens and resting those guys for – two weeks because they didn't play in week 17 so yeah it hurts it hurts for them because they didn't right like you said didn't play in week 17 so they had maybe a little bit too much time off yeah I think that's really what it comes down to at this point so if John Harbaugh and the Ravens want to play it safe next year and intentionally finish in second in the division let the Steelers win it to make (laughs) the playoffs and get the wild card and you know 
take that, <laughs> not have the the rust, and that's fine. Are you I listening, John? Their, Do you hear yeah, us? That that is their recipe to success. The Steelers will happily take the bye week from them. You know, they they'll they'll take that one or two seed. So. Yeah, I think it, I honestly think that the week seventeen, uh, Ben, like that uh, is where you get too much time off. I think the bye week's important, but. Uh, sitting out week 17, I don't know, maybe throws something to their mojo there. But I think going back to what was his name? Uh, the, the analyst that uh, Bill Polian, Bill Polian, like the mental gymnastics you have to do to see Lamar Jackson become the MVP at quarterback, break records like nobody else. And then he goes one and done in the playoffs and you're like, I was right. He should have been a wide receiver. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, OK, moron. Like, I, I don't like the hot takes that I've heard about this. I truly think that the Titans went in there and did something spectacular against an amazing opponent in the Ravens. Um, and yes, you don't really see uh, Lamar Jackson falter in such a in clutch uh, situations like this. You know, I know we ha- we look back at last year, but that's a different player in my opinion. Um, I just think absolutely. I think the yeah. Titans came in here and took care of business, and they were the better team on this given. Saturday. So um, I still think Lamar Jackson has an amazing career ahead of him and many playoff wins to come. Yeah, they had a great game plan both on both offense, uh, offensively and defensively. And Mike Vrabel has has them as a confident group right now. Did you guys see that video of him high fiving every single player uh, before they all went in the locker room after the win? It was pretty cool. No, that's he's such out. a yeah. player's Play coach because obviously he used to play, but also just I don't know. He's just such a gung ho like football looking guy. Yeah, I mean he he is kind of your definition of a football guy. I mean, I've I've become a big Mike Rabel and Tennessee Titan fans now in the playoffs. Now they knocked out both the Patriots and the Ravens on back to back weeks. Not something I ever envisioned being the case. And now all of a sudden, neither of those teams are in the AFC Championship game, and that's the first time since 2010. So. This has been my favorite NFL postseason in a very long time. And I, I hey, if the, if the Titans want to win the Super Bowl, then hey, good on them. They've, they've earned it at this point. And uh, I think that it's kind of crazy that uh, we're saying that about this team who for years has always been super irrelevant. But then Ryan Tannehill takes over, and I know he hasn't been great in the playoffs, but he's done just enough. And Derrick Henry, of course, how... How does he do it? Three weeks in a row, a thirty plus yards rushing and or thirty plus rush attempts and a hundred eighty plus yards rushing. Well, and over two hundred yards again total offense. Um, yeah, if you throw in his reception for seven yards and also well. he passed for three yards. Like it's a credit to their offensive um, line as well, not just Henry. True. No, definitely true. Um, it's a credit to the game plan, man. Derrick Henry can't do anything if you don't give him the ball, and they definitely committed to the run. Um, I I saw some sort of stat um, about like Ryan Tannehill cuz they cuz the Chiefs had so many drops. I think the Chiefs had six drops this week and they're like if that happened in the Titans game, they would have had one reception. Um so it it would be really um I don't know, it it's the commit to the run is kind of amazing to me. Yeah, so we'll see what they can do from here as uh in the AFC Championship game, they'll be taking on the Kansas City Chiefs who I I don't even know where to begin with this Chiefs Texans game. <laughs> The the Texans were up twenty four to nothing, and the Chiefs outscored them fifty one to seven from there. The first time ever in NFL history that a team came back from down twenty four points in a quarter in the playoffs, and the first time that a team came back from down twenty and won by twenty. And that was the wildest ha- first half of football I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, 
I don't know how a Houston head coach was fired in the past couple of days, and it wasn't Bill O'Brien because his second quarter performance is that that is like the coup de gras of Bill O'Brien's career and how he was able to turn a twenty four nothing lead into a halftime deficit, not just a slow chip away Chiefs win on a game winning touchdown in the last minute. It it took him less than three minutes to make it a one-score game because of Bill O'Brien's incompetence where he, I understand not going for it on fourth and one and just taking the field goal when you're up 21, but then to go and do a fake punt on your own 30, it just makes no sense to me how you do one and not, you do one or the other there. You, and it, you, ba- you basically stole my thunder or what I was going to say. <laughs> Bill O'Brien needs to be fired. They, had, they, they run a fake punt up 17 and gets the Chiefs back in the game. They completed the comeback at the end of the first half. I figured, you know, even though it was twenty-four nothing, I still believed in the the Chiefs were going to win that game and come back. I just didn't think it would be at just one quarter of play uh, for all all of it to implode. And I, it's all on Bill O'Brien and his, like you said, incompetency. And he. Sh- he needs to go. I really hope that's the truth and that it's not just that the Chiefs offense is absolutely unstoppable. I mean, obviously, Bill O'Brien is to be reprimanded for giving the Chiefs short fields. Uh, there's no excuse for that. But at the same time, this Chiefs offense, when they're not like dropping wide open thro- like passes, it, they're pretty unstoppable. Um, it, it's, it's scary to see the things that they do on these three-play, four-play touchdown drives that go 75 yards. Yeah, it's explosive offense. As as much as uh, you can kind of hate on the Texans, you have to give a ton of respect to the Chiefs because once they started scoring, they couldn't stop. Seven straight possessions, they scored a touchdown. And I think the biggest thing that we learned this weekend is despite everything Lamar Jackson did throughout this regular season, bursting onto the scene, uh, developing into the arguably the game's most exciting player, he's going to win the MVP, and he's probably going to have a, a great career from here despite this playoff loss. We were reminded that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback he, on this planet. He's still he's still the face of the league. It's This season, he had his injury. He didn't put up the spectacular numbers his last year. But he came out in this playoffs game down by 24 points. And the, the Chiefs could have easily rolled over at that point. But they got a little spark with that special teams um, kickoff return by Michael Hardman. And Mahomes just went off from there. Uh, five touchdown passes. And, uh, Three yeah, of them to, going to Kelsey. Yeah. No, I, I, I just think at this point, Patrick Mahomes, he, he is, uh, whether or not you want to actually say he's the face of the league, he's the best quarterback. And we were saying that last year. We kind of forgot about him, but he's the best one. And the Chiefs are the most explosive offense right now. And yeah, Ben, I know the 49ers defense is looking like the best in the league, but if it's a Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl, that that would be a very exciting matchup to see which one can win out oh yeah I definitely don't want to see Mahomes please Titans bring us another upset because watching this game that's all I could think about was like how do you stop how does anyone stop this you know it it almost seems like the only answer is to be able to outscore them but how could you possibly do that (laughs) like it's I don't know I'm you'd have to you'd have to hope for a Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl where the defense wins and wins by a lot with the Broncos offense imploding. 
Because remember, it was best offense yeah. versus best defense. In that yeah, ball. historically, defense wins those games. I mean, that, that's something that we could be talking about a week from now uh, as we look ahead to that. Yeah, but historically, yeah, I mean, teams it, don't come back from 24-0 no, down, okay? No. Historically, <laughs> teams don't like win by 20 when they're down by 24. So, I don't know. I, at, for the moment, I'm in awe. Um, but in a few weeks, I might be trembling with fear. Um, but for now, I'll just appreciate the greatness that is Andy Reid's Chiefs. Yeah, so when I, when I was watching this game from the beginning and the, the Texans jumped out 21 nothing early, I started thinking back to the uh, Jaguars-Steelers playoff game from a couple years ago when the Jaguars, in a blink of an eye, went up 21 nothing in Pittsburgh. And then the you know, Steelers offense woke up, but they were just chasing points the rest of the way. And I was like, it's, I kind of feel like that's going to happen. You know, Mahomes will figure it out. They'll put up the points. But Deshaun Watson is on the other side. He's going to be able to score. And... Houston will, even if uh, Kansas City cuts it to one, they'll go back up by two. And no, none of that happened. Kansas City just got hot, and they, they kept going. And the, the Texans' defense, they're not great, but the Chiefs' offense was able to just make them look so much worse than they have been all year. And the, the Texans' offense from there, just they, they couldn't match what Mahomes is doing. And Deshaun Watson, fantastic quarterback. That's a great offense, but they... Once they fell behind, there was just no coming back. So yeah, and for most quarterbacks, like putting up 388 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, like in a rushing touchdown, like generally that's a stat line of a playoff winning quarterback. Um, so you do have to feel a little bit uh, bad for Deshaun Watson that he's got Bill O'Brien uh, calling the shots because uh, it almost seems like they lose in spite of Deshaun Watson's best efforts. It's a combination of. Chiefs explosive offense along with the Texans implosion did you guys see at the end of the uh, around the fourth quarter with like 10 minutes left to go I'm, I'm, I don't know if you guys are paying attention by then but there it was like fourth and three the Texans had the ball and all of a sudden Bill O'Brien set in the punt team and yep. then Watson had to go over and tell him what are we punting for? We got to go for it. We're losing by <laughs> multiple scores here. It's only three yards. We're past midfield. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Time out. Time out. Like, <sighs> he's not built to be a head coach when Watson has to tell him what to do on the field. Yeah, he it's, had it's, multiple it's fireable offenses in that game. That That's a particularly egregious one, just kind of punting on your season there. And, you know, they, they did go for it. I don't think they picked it up anyway. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Bill O'Brien, there's just so many games where he's just totally outcoached, and he has so much talent. He has enough that this team is able to win some games. You know, they're able to beat a team like the Patriots on Sunday night football when nobody thinks they can. And then the following week, they come out, and they're down 38-3 to to the Denver Broncos. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that the Texans are going to move on from him at this point, considering they still haven't. But I, I do think it's a shame for Texans and their fans because, uh, to me, this organization being around for 18 years and zero conference championship games to show for it. And I, I just feel like this is a team that should should be able to achieve more than they can. And they're just constantly being held back to their head coach. Yeah, I've said a lot of times this year that I like I like Watson a lot. Hopkins is, of course, one of the better one of the best receivers in the league. And they got some pretty good players on their defense. But yeah, it's held back by their coaching staff. So one one thought I want to leave us with. Um, so this is actually, so I was talking to my brother um, yesterday, as well as during the game. He's a Texans fan for some reason, and 
he uh yeah he he started rooting for them when they were terrible that one year and then they drafted Jadavion Clowney who went to my college and then from there he became a Texas fan he still is and it's it's been a good experience for him but it's also been kind of miserable because things like that you come to expect what happened on Sunday and when I was texting him yesterday like hey at least you're not an Astros fan too uh we he wound up saying uh you know the the Astros so basically they they lost a uh, you know first and second round pick in 2020 and 2021 and paid five million dollars to win a World Series. He's like, the Texans did the same thing, just get Laramie Tunzel, and that <laughs> that clearly was not the same trade off. So yeah, two two different uh, ran teams in Houston there, and uh, it's not good. It's not a good weekend to be a Houston sports fan. No, right now. no, and I mean the Texans not having first round draft picks to be able to shore up that defense in the next couple of years. I think that that could certainly haunt them, especially as Deshaun Watson ends up getting paid his money. So with that, let's move on to our final game of the weekend, and here's another one that I know Ben was a big fan of as the Green Bay Packers knock out the Seattle Seahawks 28-23 to at Lambeau Field. They'll be playing in the NFC Championship game while uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks will not be going for round three with the 49ers. Thank goodness. What a good weekend it was for me to watch the Seahawks and the Clemson get eliminated from the postseason. Um, but... The Seahawks, their luck finally ran out. Too many injuries, in my opinion. At this point, uh, like we said last week, you're not going to survive if you don't have a run game at, at this point. And once again, Russell Wilson was basically the only thing they had going. Although they did hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch on the one-yard line, which uh, you know ended up scoring a touchdown. Surprise, surprise. So I, I think that br- maybe brought back some memories for a lot of uh, Seahawks fans. Um, but something I thought was important was the Packers – got out to a big lead and then they kind of got complacent and as is Russell Wilson's style the Seahawks kind of clawed their way back into it um and I think it's gonna be interesting to see how the Packers handle that kind of pressure when they're not at home uh because in my opinion if they're not ready to play four full quarters of football they might not be ready to advance past the conference championship isn't that Russell Wilson oh no, I was just say, isn't that the story of the Packers season? They had, uh, down the stretch, they had all those games against like the Giants and the Redskins, the Bears, all, all these games where they jump out kind of early, and then they, like you said, they get complacent, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden, the other team has a chance to win the game because Green Bay can't put them away, and that's something that we saw again this weekend. I was just going to say that, like, even though in a losing effort, I think Russell Wilson might have been one of the best players this weekend he has to do everything on that offense especially with no running game after the after the injuries that they've had they don't have the same defense uh, without the legion of boom and another reason why uh, Ben is probably happy that the Packers won instead of the Seahawks is because the Seahawks have matched up better versus the Niners this year two games have come down to the wire and the Packers they got obliterated the one time they faced them and I feel like it's going to be pretty similar with what their offense is built how, or how their offense is built. I mean, after Aaron Jones and De- Devontae Adams, there's really no one else to go to, and they shut them down last time. So I don't know if the Packers can keep up that same production or not versus the Niners. Aaron Rodgers, after losing to the 49ers, uh, he said that if we see them again, we'll be ready. So... um 
Packers win confirmed. So take his but, word. Yeah, it's but <laughs> from my perspective, I think that yes, we are happy at least be facing the Packers instead of the Seahawks because it's a better matchup for us. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, I think that the like you said last week, the the best scenario for the 49ers was the Vikings beating the Saints because uh, I think that. Well, I don't know if uh, the Saints would have necessarily been able to go into the the frozen tundra tundra of Lambeau Field and win that game. I do think that they, on paper, would have had a better chance than the Seahawks. And then from there, you're looking at 49ers Saints round two, and we know what happened in round one with how exciting that was. But of course, coming down to the wire, uh, whereas the Packers that that was a blowout game. I don't know if we're necessarily going to see a blowout again, but I, I do think that the 49ers have a, a much better advantage over green bay than they would over seattle or new orleans Uh, that being said i do love the storyline of aaron Rodgers playing an nfc championship game in the bay area you know he's still upset that the 49ers didn't take him with that number one overall pick in 2005 and he has one last opportunity to prove them wrong so we'll see if he can do that it's always in I, I always love uh, when the Niners play Aaron Rodgers because he is a player that I respect a lot and you can never count out a Packers team that's led by Aaron Rodgers so um, and they also have never beaten the Niners in the Aaron Rodgers era have they I don't think beaten us? Oh, and two in the playoffs yeah 2012 Lost, and yeah most multiple playoff games it definitely in the postseason he hasn't beaten us but I'm pretty sure that he has beaten the 49ers um, in the regular yeah season. the regular season. I don't know. We've lost a lot yeah, of games I mean, like the last five years. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers yeah. got his. I can't remember specifically, but I'm pretty sure. But yes, he has suffered some losses to Kaepernick, um, which were which was pretty epic. But yeah, 2012 and 2013. Yeah. So yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll see. I think that'll be uh, an exciting NFC Championship game. And with that, let's move on to our burning question: Which team playing in the conference championships next weekend most needs to win the Super Bowl? So, if we were doing this by individual coach, it's no doubt Andy Reid because the other three teams have first or second year head coaches while Andy Reid has been coaching forever. If you're doing it by individual quarterbacks, I would say Rodgers, given what his legacy is as one of the best QBs to ever play. He still hasn't won a Super Bowl in about nine years or so now, so he's he hasn't he was one of the top quarterbacks in the league and he still is, but he hasn't been in that same conversation now as like Brady and Manning and all, and all that because of the slight dip in play the past few seasons. So individually, quarterback-wise, it'd be Rodgers. But if we're doing it solely on team, I would go with the Titans because I think the other three teams can still compete for many years to come. But I don't know if the Titans can because, well, one, Ryan Tannehill, I don't know what his situation will be after the season, whether they're going to franchise him or if they're going to bring in a new quarterback, or keep Mariota if they really want to go down that road again. And then I don't know how long Derrick Henry will be there with He's the Titans. He's also a because, pending free agent. Yeah, if, if they're going to have to pay him big money, which I don't know. Even though he's been awesome, I don't know if it's smart to pay running backs in this league because we've seen with one example, Todd Gurley. He was awesome for for several years, but then after the Rams paid him, his, in- his knee injury shows up, and he was kind of ineffective this season. It'll probably just get worse from there. So we'll see what happens with the Titans. I, um, yeah, so just straight up, which team most needs to win? 
right now, who needs to win a Super Bowl out of these last four teams? I got to go with the Titans. They're halfway there, man. No one expected them to make it this far. Uh, and again, like on paper, they're clearly like the quote unquote like worst team that's still there. Um, if you you know simulate these postseasons over and over and over again, I think that this run is pretty improbable. So the fact they've made it this far, they need to finish the job. You know, you look at these other teams. The Chiefs will de- definitely be back. Um, as Mahomes is young and he's only going to get better. Um, and yeah, the Packers have Aaron Rodgers, and I like to think that the 49ers are a young team that's built to continue to be successful. So I think that my clear choice is the the Titans. Uh, they've done the improbable so far so uh they need to finish that journey you know i I think that's a fair point about the titans to just say well they're the team that's least likely to get back because they don't have this young quarterback or you know this elite defense or a hall of famer leading their team but are any of these teams truly a guarantee to find themselves back here in the national football league Look at the Chicago Bears last year. They were 12-4, and four, won the NFC North. It looked like, oh, they're, they're up and coming. And now all of a sudden, they're maybe one more bad season away from totally blowing everything up. And you see stuff like that all the time. And Ben, so how many times did you expect... Well, actually, that's not fair. So the Oklahoma City Thunder, they, they made it to the NBA Finals in 2012 with that young roster they had. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, James Harden. I know you didn't really become a Thunder fan until toward the end of that, like right but before I've, Durant But I've left. read my history. Yeah, and you kind of assume, all right, yeah, they lost to the Heat. This is it. They got there. Now they're going to win it. Look at them now. They never got there. They never got back. They never won it. They they had a couple Western Conference Finals losses. They couldn't win it. And the team that I think kind of most starts to get in that territory if they don't win the Super Bowl is the Kansas City Chiefs. Because you know, we already talked about Andy Reid. He's been doing this for a long time. He's facing the Tennessee Titans at home. And I know the Titans went into Foxborough, went into Baltimore, won games that a lot of people didn't think they would do. But the, the Chiefs are still going to be big favorites over the Titans. And this is a game they absolutely have to win. Derrick Henry can't keep this going forever i know the chiefs have a susceptible run defense the past defense has been better than we've seen in the past but there's reason to believe that a healthy totally rested derrick henry could run on this team but he's been doing this three weeks in a row they can't let it get to four they have to win this game and get to the super bowl and then from there once you're in the super bowl you gotta win it for it to really mean something and for the chiefs patrick mahomes is a superstar we can go on and on about him and he's going to be paid like a superstar sooner rather than later. So if you're the Chiefs, you are in this perfect opportunity. And I know you're going to be going up against either the 49ers and their elite defense or the Packers and a guy who he might not be in the greatest of all time consideration because he doesn't have the Super Bowl track record, but he is certainly in the conversation for the most talented person to ever pick up a football and throw it. So to me, the Kansas City Chiefs, are the team that I'm like, hey, you just got to win it. You you got so close last year losing to the Patriots in overtime in the AFC Championship game. It's your time now to step up and get this Super Bowl. And then from there, who knows what's going to happen? Because the Seahawks and the Eagles, we thought, oh, they could build some dynasties, and that was the only one they got. Just get that one, and we'll figure it out from there. But we can't just assume that the Chiefs are going to be back. So the Chiefs, absolutely, this is yours for the taking. Didn't have to go through New England or Baltimore win win the Super Bowl at this point. That's that's they have to. So no rebuttal from me there. <laughs> yeah. So 
Um, I was honestly expecting one of you to say the Packers. I think Brian made the good point about Aaron Rodgers individually, but um, yeah, I, I went with I went with a whole as a team because yeah. if you did individually co- coaching quarterback, then it's kind of obvious. But as a whole, as a team, I don't know if the Titans can come back at all. But the other three teams, I can still imagine them uh, go- coming back. Like I said, several years to come. All right, so let's wrap up the NFL talk uh, by talking about head coaches. So. Five teams replaced coaches this offseason, and uh, you know, assuming that Bill O'Brien at this point isn't fired or any other coaches like Mike Zimmer, um, the we know who our new coaches for 2020 will be. So, not necessarily what is the best hire, but what is your favorite? Uh, I would say the Mike McCarthy hire to the Cowboys because I think. Even though his run in Green Bay did not end well, I think he can make their offense a lot better. If they have Dak and Cooper coming back, I think they'll make he'll make them a tougher team, and I think he won't be clapping every 10 seconds after every single bad play. And also, I'm just not really a fan of the other moves. Uh Ron Rivera, I I think he's a good coach, but wait, wait, wait. Let's say Redskins our favorites before we start trashing some of the other ones. Oh, okay, because <laughs> um, I I want to go next again. I, I wasn't blown away by any of these hires, um, but I guess I'll say Joe Judge to the Giants, um, only because he comes highly recommended from Saban and Belichick, who obviously are really good coaches. Um, but I just I don't exactly know what to expect from him. But it was the hire that I hated the least (laughs) um also but also i don't know it wasn't like these guys were all besides mccarthy and rivera i didn't feel like we had really recognizable names getting hired um this offseason no when you only have five coaches i think having two really recognizable names is is significant i mean those are two guys who i think they did great jobs in their prior stops Uh, you know ron rivera multiple times he won the coach of the year in Carolina and Mike McCarthy of course won a Super Bowl with the the Green Bay Packers both of them needed to go they they kind of overstayed their welcome so I don't blame their teams for firing them the thing with the the Redskins and the Cowboys is the ownership and whether Jerry Jones and Daniel Snyder will let these guys succeed to the best of their ability that's the reason why I'm not going to point to those two I'm going to look at one of the uh, newer newer coaches uh, their first time head coaches and I'm really intrigued by Matt Rule to the Carolina Panthers and there there are a number of reasons why so one of the first reasons is because he made Temple a relevant football program, uh, to an extent being a member of the American Athletic Conference. And then what he did at Baylor, that entire school was in ruins because of what happened with the the football team and all the sexual assault scandals and a a bunch of other things. And that they went 1-11 his first year. And then two years later, they are playing in the Big 12 championship game. And then they went on to play in the Sugar Bowl. So I, I'm really excited to see what he can do to an NFL franchise that kind of use a bit of a restart. Uh, we don't really know what's going to happen with Cam Newton. This is a team that has taken a bit of a free fall since that 15-1 and Super Bowl winning season. And the Panthers committed to him, giving him a seven-year deal. So I'm excited to see what he can do there. My expectation is that they're going to look to start over with a new quarterback. And in particular, the reason why I think that, and a big reason why I love this hire even more, is that the Panthers just announced today 
that they will be hiring Joe Brady as their offensive coordinator. He was the passing game coordinator for LSU who helped Joe Burrow have his tremendous season. Well, I don't think the Panthers can realistically get Joe Burrow with him likely going number one to the Bengals. Say Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert, if Joe Brady thinks, hey, I can do something special with these guys, Matt Rule, uh, what do you think? Let's move on from Cam Newton and target one of these guys in the draft? Or even let Cam Newton play one year and let let them uh, develop under him. I do think that Carolina has reasons to be optimistic just because Matt Rule, he's been able to turn around great programs, and he didn't even have tremendous recruiting classes. I think it speaks to his coaching pretty well, and I think he can do a great job in the NFL. Well, um, my least favorite hire by far has to be Ron Rivera to the Redskins. Um, I'm very disappointed by this because I I am quite confident that the ownership in Washington DC will do everything in their power to prevent him from being successful, which is really disappointing because I know how good of a head coach he is. I thought for sure that he was headed to Dallas, where he would immediately have weapons and be able to build something. Um, But I'm really not sure what to expect out of him in Washington. The reason why the Mike McCarthy head coaching hire is my favorite is because I'm not a fan of the literally any of the other hires. and then my, like you said, uh, Ron Rivera, yeah, he's a good coach, but it's just a terrible organization in the Redskins. And then Kevin Stefanski, who was the offensive coordinator for the Vikings, that didn't, whatever their game plan was uh, first the Niners this past Saturday, it didn't work out. And now he's going to the Browns where basically any coach who takes over is doomed to fail. And then my least favorite one of all of them is definitely the Joe Judge one. Being the not even the offensive coordinator of the Patriots, but being the receiver receivers coach and also special teams coach for the Patriots, you know how bad the receivers were for the Patriots this season. It was Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry, Mohamed Sanu, uh, and Jacoby Myers, and so on. I, literally, outside of Edelman, everyone really underperformed this season, and to the fact that they were that bad, and Joe Judge now is not only a coach, a head coach, but a head coach for the New York Giants. I, I, I feel like it's a disaster waiting to happen. So that was that was by far my least favorite. Well, how many games did the Patriots win this year because of special teams? I think that's the biggest reason why he got the job. I think the idea was that he would take over as wide receiver coach so he could replace Josh McDaniels and then Judge wanted to be the one is it to really coach? How hard is it really to coach special teams? Uh, I mean, ask I John know. Harbaugh, so man. He's a special yeah. teams coach. All right. I, I don't, you, the fact that he wasn't a coordinator at all and is now the head coach of the New York Giants is astounding to me. It's it's a disaster waiting to happen. I'm telling you. Well, my least favorite hire is Kevin Stefanski to the Browns. Not because I think that Kevin Stefanski should be taken down because of his uh, you know game plan, whatever you want to blame for that 49ers game but because I was really hoping Josh McDaniels would go to the Browns because I thought that would be bad for the Patriots losing McDaniels and bad for the Browns because I don't think that Josh McDaniels is a great head coach in this league. Uh, so I was disappointed that they decided to go with Stefanski instead. What are you talking about? You didn't like that draft pick and Tim Tebow in the first round? <laughs> <time? laughs> that was McDaniels who drafted him? Yeah, I kind of forgot was. about that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been nice to see what uh, he could have done to blow up that, that Browns team. 
But uh, I'll give Stefanski the benefit of the doubt. I mean, look at the guy he lost to, Kyle Shanahan, and look how he did his last game with the Falcons in that Super Bowl. And I think he's he's made a good name for himself as the Niners head coach. So, well, Kyle Shanahan was really the one running things there, not Dan Quinn. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying he was he choked away the Super Bowl with his game plan. So if you're just basing it off of one playoff game, shouldn't Kyle Shanahan be? That's a good point. Yeah. All right, that's so. a that's a good point. All right. You're still doomed to fail because it's Cleveland. <laughs> yes. Oh, I agree. I agree. So, all right. Let's uh, let's move on to the uh, college game and the national championship, and uh, we can have a much happier conversation about this than last year because instead of blowing out Alabama, Clemson lost by multiple scores to LSU, forty-two to twenty-five. Big game for Joe Burrow, and uh, you know this. Uh, this feels right. If it's a sigh of relief for uh, you know the good guys, uh, people who are rooting for like the uh, the protagonists in sports. Wait, so quick question? I or not question? I was uh, just quick breaking news: Red Sox and manager Alex Cora have mutually agreed to part ways. So we are that breaking means fired. news on he's done it. <laughs> that means mutually fired. agreed. No, so. no, it's not mutually. <laughs> it means he's fired. Francona was fired too when they said mutually decided to part ways. They were both fired. Yeah, how weird that they would mutually agree to part ways right after you guys were talking about some sort of scandal with them. That is like, yeah, that's kind I, of I eerie think timing. you should go, Cora. You're in the middle of the a huge scandal right now, and not just for us, but for the Astros. I think it's time to go. Yeah, that is that's mutually decided. That is such weird timing, um, but it's exciting to have breaking news on the pod. Um, yeah, but yeah, so we should have a sounder. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for me, this is mainly just a sigh of relief. As like, it's it's impossible for me to ignore that this was Clemson again uh, going for the title. And I'm not an LSU fan in any stretch of the imagination, but um, I appreciate them doing us another solid because they originally did us a solid back in I think it was 2015 when they sent us a whole mm-hmm. bunch of supplies to help us survive the flooding um, and kind of. This was in Columbia, South Carolina. That's by right. The way, not the podcast. R- right when I was. A student, uh, along with yeah, Corey, when we were students. Uh, yeah. There was really bad flooding in Columbia, like actual life-threatening flooding that destroyed homes and was actually really terrible. And L- like we were supposed to host LSU, but we had bigger things in our mind than football that week, so we actually played the game um, at their home stadium, and uh, I- it would just really improve the image of the school for me. And at times like this, I like to look back on that and think, you know, LSU is constantly doing us solids, whether that's giving us life-saving supplies or making sure Clemson doesn't get another national title. Yeah, I was actually reminded of that the the day of the game. I, I totally forgot about that aspect. I was just rooting for LSU because they're, they're a fun team and I don't like Clemson. But yeah, I mean, they, they did a, a great, a lot of, lot of great things for uh, University of South Carolina and the the, the Columbia, South Carolina area in October of 2015, and I'm 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 happy that uh, they they were able to win this national championship because uh, they're 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 already deserving school, and uh, they cancel classes Monday and Tuesday because uh, it's the SEC and it just means more. And those those students, I'm sure, were having a great time partying on Bourbon Street, partying back home in Baton Rouge, and. Uh, you know, I, I will say though, Ben, I am sorry that you're not going to get to see Trevor Lawrence become the greatest college football player ever by going 45 and 0 and you know winning three national championships. If you look at the stats, 
18 for 37, 234 yards, no touchdowns. Well, Joe Burrow through five, oh, going 31 of 49. You, you left was, one out. Burrow you left one out. Fumble lost. Um, Fumble lost. You're right at the end. Yep. yep. So, um, but yeah, on the other side of the ball, Joe Burrow is absolutely dealing. Like he was as advertised in this game, and uh, he had a lot of swagger walking off the field, pointing at his ring finger. Um, I liked that a lot. Uh, something that I feel like we always have to talk about when we're talking about college football. Did you guys think that the targeting call was good? Uh, you know, I I don't know if it was any less egregious than the one that Ohio yeah, State was okay, for. Yeah, okay, that's a good point. No, I agree. It's similar agree. level of like egregiousness um, because it definitely didn't seem like he had much malice intent with the, the way. I mean, it seemed like he was just trying to play the game, um, but it's undeniable that helmet-to-helmet contact occurred just like it did in the Ohio State game. So, yeah, you know what? I, I like the call. <laughs> yeah. If they're going to do it, they might as well be consistent. Absolutely. I, that's all you can ask for. Um, in terms of LSU, yeah, Burrow was phenomenal in this game, but his receivers, it's, it is unreal just how much talent they have there. I don't know how much of that is just solely on Burrow, but Jamar Chase, nine catches, 221 yards, and two touchdowns. Justin Jefferson, he was the guy who caught five touchdowns Four? in the... The oh, last game. five touchdowns. I think it was five. Yeah, I mean, he didn't catch a touchdown on this one, but he still had nine for 106. Thaddeus Moss, a tight end, Randy Moss's kid, five for 36 and two yeah, touchdowns. Yeah, Thaddeus, so. literally the next Randy Moss. Like, he was, it was amazing to see his dad out there, like, rooting for him. Um, in a, like, his son also making a name for himself. Steelers could use a tight end if they move on from Vance McDonald Pay- this offseason. So. Patriots could use a tight end. Yeah. They don't have Gronk. Well, I, was, I don't even know who their best one is. Matt Lacoste. I was yeah. looking at... I would, um, I would take oh, is he, is he entering the draft? He. So I was looking at it this morning because so many people on Twitter were like, oh, you know, Thaddeus Moss to like this team. And it was like someone said they, they he'd look great in black and gold. And they're like, who are the Steelers trading up to get him? Uh, but then I was looking, and at least before the game, he didn't have that great of a draft stock. Like he was considered a day three pick. So, and it might be better for him to go back into the draft. So, I don't know realistically if he'll end up coming out or if he's really like this can't miss prospect. But he looked pretty good last night. And, you know, the fact that his dad is Randy Moss, who's arguably, you know, a, a top five greatest of all time receiver, makes you think that maybe he has uh, some some genes in him to, to be that type of. Uh, George Kittle was a fifth NFL. rounder, so maybe tight ends are just undervalued. Yeah. So, I mean, well, obviously it's, it's too early for, for any of that talk right now. Uh, in terms of just focusing on the, the LSU victory, uh, you, you got to love, like, Coach O. And, uh, you know, the, the whole time Kirk Herbstreit just kind of talking about, oh, you know, that you're just going to think, like, Louisiana and, you know, say go Tigers. And uh, he's just, like, a fun guy. And, he he's that cool uncle you want to meet at at barbecues he, and, and talk about what life. He's someone who people were making fun of the fact that LSU replaced Les Miles, who's this legendary coach in their program for Ed Orgeron, and like the fact that they not only made him the interim coach, but then they brought him back. And now look at him; he's a, a national championship winning coach, and. You know, I don't know what this team will necessarily look like without Joe Burrow. I don't know what the quarterback situation goes from here. We talked about Joe Brady going to the Panthers. This might not be this kind of new dynasty, like all of a sudden next Alabama. But 
you can't take Could away what LSU accomplished. 15 and 0, seven wins over top 10 teams. They beat the preseason top 4 in Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Georgia. and Oklahoma. Yeah, and all of them were in the top 4 when they beat them. They beat three top 4 teams to end the season. So you know, and they beat them and basically almost all of them they beat by double digits. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they they won at Texas. That that was a big one. That was a close game. But yeah, the all three neutral sites they won by at least three scores. So I think that this LSU team is absolutely belongs in the conversation for greatest college football team ever. Joe Burrow, potentially the greatest college football season ever, sixty touchdown passes. No one had ever done that before. Won the Heisman, won the Natty. Yeah, no. So, so like going back to your c- consoling me that I'm gonna miss out on the Trevor Lawrence like goat quarterback career. Um, at the very least, I have the consolation prize of bear, like be- bearing witness to what is potentially the greatest quarterback season of all time. And you know what? I'll take it. Some people were saying that Joe Burrow wouldn't be the first overall pick because of how great Chase Young is. Some some people were also saying if Trevor Lawrence was in this, uh, if he was coming for the draft this year, that he'd be the number one pick. But after seeing what happened yesterday, I don't know how you can't say Joe Burrow is, he should be the number one pick for no, no question well, about you, it, especially with how D- Dalton has looked uh, for the Bengals. It's number one pick. It, it depends how you define it, right? Because um, is it the best player or is it what your team needs most? Um, I could definitely see like a team that already had a quarterback taking Chase Young uh, over Joe Burrow because they already have a quarterback. But like the Giants, yes. Um, but it's the Bengals, um, and while it would be an extremely Bengals move to take Trevor Lawrence instead of Joe Burrow, that's not the case this year. I, I I'm willing to entertain the conversation between Chase Young and Joe Burrow, but I think the choice is so obvious for the Bengals that it, it's kind of not even worth having that conversation. Yeah, I agree. I think that the, the Bengals have the opportunity to take a, a great quarterback and you know, I, I don't hate the idea of saying that Tua Tagovailoa should still be considered above Joe Burrow. I know that his injury concern could have him fall a little bit in the draft, but even then, I just realistically don't see why a team like the Miami Dolphins or the Los Angeles Chargers at 5 and 6 who could use a quarterback wouldn't take him. So, if I'm I'm the Bengals, I I take Joe Burrow. I think he's the number one guy right now. The Redskins will be more than happy to get Chase Young. And I think the Bengals, if they took Chase Young, that, that would not necessarily be a terrible pick either. But, yeah, I mean, at, at this point in time, I'm pretty pretty convinced that Joe Burrow will be the number one overall pick. And I just got to look forward to TJ Watt sacking him 10 times in two games for the next 7 to 12 years. So, so let's move on to trivia. And... Uh, we actually have two different topics this week, and I know, Brian, you are going to take this week to ask a, a college football national championship game trivia question. Yeah, so you, you actually kind of have mentioned it just recently. So quarterback Joe Burrow set the se- sets the FBS single-season record for touchdown passes. He threw 60th, and my question is, I'll start with Ben first because I think, Corey, you can get it pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty quickly. Ben, 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 you're not as smart, not, so we'll start sure with yet. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, who is the only quarterback in NFL history to throw 60 touchdown passes when you include the regular and postseason? Oh, man. 60? And, and when, I, when I saw this question, I did 
element. I did I did get it right away. Um, Not I'm gonna well. guess Peyton Manning. And Corey, what is your guess? Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to think. Oh, you know. So I know it's not Brady. He didn't throw a ton of touchdown passes in that playoff. I think it's either Peyton Manning or Patrick Mahomes, and part of me wants to go with Mahomes just to be different. <laughs> wait, okay. So the answer is Peyton Manning. So it ben is Peyton Manning. Oh, okay. he threw yeah. That was my so first wait, guess. Wait, 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 wait. wait so he yeah. threw fifty touchdown passes in the regular season, and then Mahomes threw zero versus the Colts. So like, he would have. Had oh, to I, I didn't remember he what he did. In the oh, playoffs. okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I funny. thought he threw like so, yeah. fifty-three. I thought he was super close to Peyton. Um, I th- I think it was fifty, but I could I could okay. be wrong. But but I but I know the answer to that question is that it's Peyton Manning. It was only Peyton Manning. Yeah, I guess Peyton played three games. Mahomes only played two. In my head, Mahomes threw like five touchdown passes in a playoff game last that's year. That's that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> You're just thinking of this year, okay? Um, so my question has to do with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, particularly the NBA on MLK Day. So that's coming up next Monday. So. The Memphis Grizzlies will be hosting the annual Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration game for the 18th straight year. Who is the only Grizzlies player to top 30 points during an MLK Day game, a feat he accomplished during the 2010 edition? Oh, God. <laughs> Zach Randolph? That's actually a really good guess because uh, he was an all-star that year. But no, I so, think he actually so had 28 in Zach that Randolph. game. It was not Zach Randolph. I'll, I'll say that. John ja Morant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know who played on the Grizzlies in 2010. Uh, Chandler Parsons, Mike no. Conley. No, no, not Mike, not Mike Conley. I'll give you one See, more. Yeah, I guess. thought Mike Conley would be too easy. That's why I didn't guess. Yeah. So uh, is someone who like in my head he's been an All Star in his career. He wasn't, but he was a team captain that year. What pos- uh, does position give it away? Do you think? Um, maybe he was a forward. Yeah, I wasn't going to guess point guard after guessing Mike Conley. Uh, God, the the Grizzlies are like the most irrelevant team. <laughs> where, like I can barely I can barely name any players on uh, current or past time for the Grizzlies. Tony Allen. <laughs> no, not Tony Allen. Rudy Gay. He had thirty one oh, points. Got that. Yeah, thirty one points in a one twenty five to one eighteen win over the Phoenix Suns. So I think I would have just guessed. You know, maybe Randolph might have been one of mine. Uh, Marcus Saul or Mike Conley. I was going to guess Marcus Gasol, but then once you said forward, like, okay. Yeah, Marc that's Gasol. well, that was one thing I, I didn't think about. It's like, ah, oh, Gasol, he probably would have been a, a popular guess there. I thought so. Chandler Parsons would be a sneaky guess since he, I don't, well, he probably didn't even play for them. Uh, that no, year, no, he didn't join them until like the mid 2010s. So good oh, effort. Okay. I like, I, I appreciate that, but not quite. So, right. <laughs> um, so they they will be playing uh, this year uh, against the New Orleans Pelicans. I think that's a five thirty Eastern time game on TNT. So with that, let's move on to the five question segment. And uh, we have a few that you know, Brian, you came up with this segment to begin with. You came up with a lot of these questions, but we do have a couple listener submitted questions. The goal is to have more than two, like we've had last episode and then this one but we'll start with the non-listener questions and the first one is what is your go-to karaoke song i'll admit i i don't really have a go-to one there's a tie between like 10 you of came them up but with the question i know i did <laughs> um probably hey soul sister that's a good, <laughs> that's a good one. one yeah yeah 
I sang that on a cruise one time in karaoke. I I sadly know the lyrics start to finish without needing the words in front of me that entire song. I don't but think that's sad. It's he, a good song. I love Train, so. My uh, go-to karaoke song is You Never Even Call Me By My Name by David Allen Coe, um, especially because... Uh, if the crowd knows the song well enough, sometimes they'll join in with the um, like the let me, let me, let me, let me during the chorus. And uh, I love being a part of that or when I'm singing it and other people join in. So um, plus it's a hilarious song. The third verse, if you've never heard it before, will make you like openly laugh. It's pretty hilarious. The first time I heard that song was at a bar in Baltimore over the summer and the guy who sang it just could not keep up with the words. And it was, like, super frustrating, but at the same time, it was like, okay, this is kind of a fun song. And then when you told me a few months ago, like, you started playing it, you're like, yeah, I'm trying to make this my karaoke song. I was like, all right, Ben would do a much better job than I, um <laughs> It's definitely not a day one karaoke song. You know, you got to be, uh, you got to have mm-hmm. a little bit of time under your belt. You better practice this one. Because you have to have two, there's two categories, or rather two strategies uh, that I employ when it comes to karaoke. I either sing a song that I can actually sing, like this one, or I sing a song that is so mainstream and so popular that the crowd will join me. Um, and then it doesn't matter how I sing. So if it's not one of those two, I'm generally opposed to, for, uh, to going for it uh, personally. I think it's a good strategy. So you want the crowd to get into it, and whether that's with you or cheering you on. So, as a as a a, a karaoke veteran, I I know how that works. Uh, my my go to karaoke song for a long time was Ignition Remix by R. Kelly, but uh, I've I've since disavowed that song in uh, the last year or so. And my my new go to karaoke song, which really was already becoming my go to karaoke song, is uh, Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks. That's a good one. So. Yeah, yeah. My my friend Reeves and I we we would sing that one together a lot, and that's that's when I always break out. Um, Brown Eyed Girl is one that I don't know if I've ever actually sang in karaoke, but it's one that I always say, "Oh, I should do." This is that one the one time. that's Sha La La La? Yeah, yeah. Van Morrison. So oh, I think you know that, that could eventually be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 part, and that's it. All right. So for. Um, Another question I came up with last week, we talked about the Jeopardy matchup and who was going to win. My question is, what is your guys overall favorite game show? Um, so I, I it's kind of, I, I think I said it even in the last one. Jeopardy is my favorite game show, but it's not the only game show I like. Um, I also really like Family Feud. Um, but not because I actually think that it's a good game. I just really love watching Steve Harvey struggle to stay on stage when people say like mildly inappropriate answers and then he just react like overreacts to it. Uh, it gets me every time. <laughs> so my my favorite one in terms of participating in the game and trying to answer the questions is sports jeopardy. Like regular Jeopardy, I just can't do any of it. But watching Sports Jeopardy, I think it's hosted by Dan Patrick. It's on NBC at nights at sometimes. Uh, I can answer a lot of the questions pretty well. It makes me feel like I could be on that show. Uh, so participating, that one's my favorite. But 
my favorite one to watch in terms of humor is what Ben just said, Family Feud. I love Family Feud hosted by Steve Harvey and seeing all the crazy inappropriate answers people <laughs> give out. One of my favorite moments of Family Feud was uh, the question was, name a word that starts with pork. And the guy the guy said coupon. <laughs> Instead of like pork roast, uh, pork chop, uh, pork, pork coupon. Coupon. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, I, growing up, I used to watch game shows a ton with my grandmother, and Family Feud was always my favorite. Going back to the Richard Karn and John O'Hurley days, so way, way beyond just Steve Harvey. Um, but I, I guess just some others to shout out. Price is Right. I actually watched it with her and my cousin on New Year's Eve. They did like a best of 2019 thing, and someone actually won a hundred grand just rolling dice down a slide and uh that 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 just feels like the the best way to to win a hundred thousand dollars with literally zero effort so uh price is right is always one of my my favorite game shows and and i'll throw up who wants to be a millionaire but like uh, that show in jeopardy there shows that i love trivia but i'm just not good at any of those questions they're just so beyond my potential like yeah i was also going to bring up who wants to be a millionaire but yeah that's another game show where I can only get a, a few of the questions. Yeah, I mean, just watching the Jeopardy greatest of all time thing, it's like, how are these guys know all these things? They're, they're just brilliant. And um, there, there was even one like college football uh, topic uh, on either Wednesday or Thursday. I was like, oh, I'll get this one. And I only knew like two of the five. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, it's been astounding watching them. Ben, is Ken Jennings going to wrap it up by the time the listeners listen I felt to like this? you guys kind of disrespected my man, Ken. Uh, when we were talking about who who, who could win it. And honestly, because I, I felt like you guys are more knowledgeable on Jeopardy, I was like kind of embarrassed. I was like, man, I really don't know anything about Jeopardy thinking Ken Jennings even has like like a chance. And uh, I've been I've only watched one of like the double long episodes so far, but it was Ken's second victory and I was pretty stoked on that. Um, but we'll have to see. You it doesn't it doesn't count for anything unless he gets the third one. So um, we'll have to hang yep. in there. Brad Rudder's been a huge disappointment. Like it doesn't even look like he belongs on the stage half the time. So <laughs> everyone who told me that he was gonna win, uh, no. Um, all, all right. right. So another our third question of our five questions. Uh, the 19th annual No Pants Subway Ride took place Sunday. Would you ever take part in this? I wouldn't, but I think Ben would. Um, I don't think Brian would. But it seems like uh, something that would- you would have fun. I would consider it, yeah. If it depends on how cold or how hot it is. Well, it's in like January, it, right? Yeah, but there was also uh, a heat wave just recently where it was like sixty, oh yeah, almost 60, seventy. Yeah. Uh, so if it's if it's the right temperature and it's not freezing cold out, I I think I would try it. But it's also, I mean, subways. It doesn't matter yeah. where you are, whether it's New York or or a different country. It's pretty dirty in the subway, but you're also it's just your pants that are off and you're just sitting there. I don't know. I th- I think it'd be fun to just try once. Um, Corey, your suspicion was correct. I would definitely do this. Um, I'd wear my pink me undies. Um, and I, w- I would have to do it. Oh, sorry. I would just, I would have to do it with other people. I could not do it by myself. Yeah, no, I think that as far as the, like what I read, it is definitely a group thing. And, um, I don't know. It sounds like fun. It sounds like, you know, like uh, something like a tamer version of like the naked mile. You know, it's just like 
are you brave enough to go on the subway without your pants? Like, yes. <laughs> I, don't know. I guess I didn't think of that. You'd probably go with groups. I was thinking that we'd be going like individually if we did this. Uh, that might make it a little more appealing. What percentage of the the participants do you think know it's actually um, no pants subway ride and not just normal riders not wearing pants? <laughs> it's not fifty fifty, probably like ten percent, maybe. I was gonna say five <laughs> or ten percent, not even. <laughs> All right, so our next question, this is an actual listener-asked question. Uh, Kate from Raleigh. What are the benefits of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry stepping away from the royal family? Brian, this feels like uh, your area of expertise. No, it is not. I have absolutely no idea what that what that does. I, To be brutally, brutally honest, I don't really care what Meghan Markle or Carson Wentz's twin do in whether if it's being with the royal 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 royalty or uh stepping away from the royal family i have no idea this is not my expertise so you're absolutely wrong on that part so well i really can't even answer it i have well, no idea uh, this um this development the uh megan markle and prince harry stepping away from the royal family is uh brings up two big opportunities. First off, for the other dukes and duchesses to um, invade and conquer Sussex while the duke and duchess are away, leaving their um, land defenseless. Uh, It's a real opportunity for some of the other dukes and duchesses to improve their standing uh, in the royal uh, hierarchy there and claim another area for them for their uh, under their rule. But also, it gives the uh, United States an opportunity to have their own royal family. How awesome would it be if we just straight up stole Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and had our own royal family? And the way I envision this is the same way they do it. No real political influence or power. It's just the people that we all stare at and be like, yay, they're like the most important. They're like the celebrity that kind of goes along with us just being a country. And... I feel like we can never agree um, on whether or not we like the president or or hate him. Uh, it does whoever's party is is in power, the other side is going to hate them. This the the queen or the prince and princess uh, don't have to be political. They can just show up at all the stuff and wave, and we can all agree to like them. Um, and I think that could be a very important unifying force for uh, America, as divided as we are today. So I think that they should just hop on over to the United States and become the royal family of the U.S. You know, I like that idea. I didn't. I didn't even think about just stealing them. Yeah, for and we dunk on uh, Britain again. We'd be like, "Ha ha, gotcha." Yeah, <laughs> another, another L. Is she, she American? Is. Or actually, wait. Okay, because I read sure. she's not. I British. read that uh, Canada is in play. For yeah. Them. I know she's not British, so I, I didn't know if that meant she was Canadian or they're just like, yeah, let's just go to Canada. Why not? Um, I think specifically it was like a New York Times article was like, yeah, Canada needs something fun because they she's don't have She's from anything. Los Angeles. So, so they need- yeah, she's American. Okay. Okay. I mean, she could go back to LA and become an actress again, right? Do they still have a spot for her on I'm pretty seats? sure being a princess is more important, or duchess rather, is more important than being an actress. The The duchess of Hollywood? Um, I, I've, I've heard that they weren't able to sell merchandise as members of the royal family, but now you can buy your own, like, you know, Prince and uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle merch. So, Brian, we can get you a, a Prince Harry and Meghan Markle t-shirt. How does that sound? Absolutely you don't want to get not. a Meghan Markle no, fidget no spinner, dude? Nope. 
I'm I'm just not a fan or of that a, stuff. Uh, a Prince just Harry getting adored for no for reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did uh did either of you watch any of the royal wedding? No. Nope. Oh, I I definitely watched some of it. It was boring. It it took it was so long. I couldn't really even tell what was going on. They were just like walking around London or whatever, just parading them through different buildings and streets and singing songs and stuff. And I was like, yeah, this isn't exciting. But I'll admit so, that I did watch some of it. I forget why. So so Meghan Markle can go to acting and. Prince Harry can be the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Hey, he'll get to play in a playoff game if he does. Yeah, he could probably play the entire regular season once once Wentz gets hurt in week three next year. Uh, okay. So for question number five, uh, this is from John from Providence. What film should win the Academy Award for Best Picture? Uh, so I, I guess just real quickly, how many of the nine movies have you guys seen that are nominated? Uh, so I've only have seen one, and it's the Joker. Okay, but I do want to see 1917 and Ford versus Ferrari, but I didn't get to see them. Well, I've only seen the Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I've only seen Joker and The Irishman, so I don't know if we're totally informed on this one. But I'll. I'll oh, wait. I know, I know if we're totally informed on this one. We're not. We okay. you can't <laughs> judge movies without seeing them. It's it's yeah. it's only one step away from you can't judge a book by its cover. Um, so I I don't feel comfortable saying who I think should win Best Picture. Although as much as I enjoyed The Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, neither of them felt to me like Best Picture material. Um, but beyond that, I'm only going off what I've heard, and what I've heard is that Little Women has been like really slept on and it's apparently amazing it's the one from this list that i plan to watch next um but again i've seen so few from this list so i don't really feel qualified uh giving an answer yeah like what ben said i like the joker a lot but is it best picture material maybe maybe not i'm not sure and then yeah i'm i still want to watch 1917 and ford versus ferrari before actually saying which should or shouldn't uh, win best yeah, picture. so I don't I don't think Joker is best picture. I'm not even gonna entertain that. Uh, I read a CNN article that they said there is a big four for the best picture, um, and that was like what we could expect to be nominated. And these were four that had 99 percent chance of being nominated, and those were Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, Parasite, and 1917. So the Irishman's the only one I've seen of those. I don't know that I would necessarily say it should win Best Picture if I saw the other three. I would think if I did see all of them, I would probably go with either Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or 1917. But I've heard Parasite is kind of quickly rising, and that's that's a really popular one. I've gotten a recommendation to see that. So I think it's going to be one of those four. My prediction, I'm just going to go with 1917 just to to put something out there. But, like, I haven't even seen the movie, so I, I can't say that. Um, Little Women would be an interesting one because I've heard a lot of good things about that too. So, um, and even though I haven't seen Uncut Gems yet, I'm disappointed that it didn't get any Oscar consideration. I did watch it, and I absolutely hated it. Really? I, it was it was like a two and a half hour argument. I had to leave the well, not the theater building, but the theater that I was watching the movie in. I had to leave the room for a good few minutes because I just couldn't take it anymore. It was just bickering and bickering. Uh And that's just my opinion because there could be people who completely disagree and say it was a great movie. But if you look at the reviews, critically, critical reviews, it was, uh, it was rated very highly, but 
audience reviews rated poorly. Interesting. All right. Yeah, I, d- I didn't realize that. That's that's a little disappointing to hear. Um. <laughs> well, and that's just I, me. Yeah. So you could watch the movie. Right, and have which a totally leads different me opinion. to my real point about the Academy Awards is that they don't matter. Um, movies are not a competition. You should take each movie individually and judge it on its own merit. And the people who get to choose the winners of these things uh, don't reflect any sort of accuracy or real cinema knowledge. Uh, it's up to you to decide which movies are good. So go out and watch them and make your own choices. And don't waste any time getting frustrated that the movie you like didn't get the awards because that's going to get you absolutely nowhere. Um, I put almost no stock at all into the Academy Awards or Golden Globes or any of those awards because... Again, it's not a competition. Um, these things stand on their own, and you can decide which the, ones were the, the best for you. Yeah, the Oscars is a four-hour party of millionaires celebrating how yeah. awesome. And if they you are. enjoy that the spectacle, that's fine. But um, I think people, I just seen so much rage on Twitter recently. It's like, oh, this movie didn't get this, and the, oh, they're underrepresenting this like minority, and it's important. All that stuff. You, you, I'm sure there's a point, but letting the oscars or the academy awards like define your cinema experience i think is a not a great route to go down if you're trying to be happy um and my advice to you is to just ignore them if you don't agree with them yeah i've I've never really put too much stock into award shows uh john uh the, the person who submitted this question said that he goes to an oscars watch party every single year so this is a big deal for him and he was very upset that Jennifer Lopez didn't receive a nomination for Best Supporting Actress for her role in Hustlers. Uh, I haven't seen the movie. I can't comment on that. I can't comment on Kathy Bates' performance in Richard Jewell and whether she was more deserving. Um, but I did do a kind of a quick Google search on the uh, you know Jennifer Lopez and like the, the Oscar nominations when I heard that. And the first article that came up was Jennifer Lawrence didn't receive an Oscar nomination for Hustlers and Twitter is not okay. So everyone just loses their mind over this stuff. And I, I just, I don't relate. You know, I'd rather lose my mind over something that uh, really matters. And that, that's sports because, you know, we, we control so much of that. And uh, there's a reason why sports should affect our lives and not movies, right? You're right. It's so much more rational. <laughs> sports matter way more in the real world. <laughs> So that that'll uh, that'll wrap things up for us today. Uh, one thing I do want to give a quick shout out to Sidney Crosby making his triumphant return for the Penguins tonight. At this point, they're up two to nothing over the Minnesota Wild, and Crosby assisted on the first goal of the game to Evgeny Malkin. So uh, always good to have him back. I would also so, can I also give a shout out now that you mentioned it. I'd like yeah. to give a shout out to Brad Marchand. Yes, uh, for oh, totally beautiful. whiffing on the shootout goal, giving the Bruins their seventh shootout loss this season. They're zero and seven in shootouts. How great wow. is that? I didn't know that. Yeah, shootouts are dumb. But yeah, that, I, how great was Marchand just whiffing on that? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. You love to see it. Anyone, anyone is gonna do that. It's gonna be Marchand. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was brutal to watch. Just it was not fun. All right. So for for Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks for listening.